So uh, I sometimes realize that I use a word that is not exactly appropriate to the situation. Like the word dilemma. Um, I think I used it on Friday night as we had some friends over for a, a socially distant dinner on the deck. Okay? We had one of those going on. <laughs> and uh, towards uh, the end, we, we got to dessert. And it's one of those things like it came together quick. So someone said, what can I bring? And they brought delicious salad. Someone else said, well, what can I bring? And we said, dessert. And they did. But it created a dilemma because they brought three different flavors of haagen Okay, there was, um, there was uh, chocolate peanut butter, and there was um, caramel waffle cone, and, <laughs> and then there was strawberry. Are you, are you following me here? Does this feel like a dilemma? Okay, so we discovered that you don't have to eat just one, and if you combine the, the caramel waffle cone with the strawberry, yeah, that's to die for, right? And uh, there was the most leftover of the peanut butter chocolate. Anyway, so, but I realized that's not a dilemma. You know why? It's win, win, win. You can't lose. That's not a dilemma. You see, a dilemma is a situation which is a difficult choice, but it involves, it involves dealing with alternatives, especially ones that are undesirable. Kind of lose, lose kind of deals. Lose, lose, lose. It, we, it feels like a predicament. It feels like a muddle, maybe. Uh, we're perplexed and often caught in indecision. And so we are going to take a look at now chapter 43 in the saga or the story of Joseph. And we've been through a lot of different emotions and situations. Last week, Pastor Christian uh, uh, reminded us about the, the powerful nature of guilt and how God even uses guilt to eventually do something important in our lives. We're going to see that again today. We're going to see all this from kind of a heart perspective. We're going to begin by seeing uh, Jacob, the father or the patriarch of this clan of 70 people, especially uh, important, he's the the father of the 12 sons who will become uh, the namesakes of the 12 tribes of Israel. And more important, he's Joseph's dad, and Benjamin's dad, okay? But we are going to see him wrestle with a heart dilemma as he has a difficult decision to make. We're also going to see that his 10 sons who are responsible for inflicting a uh, unspeakable trauma on their brother Joseph as they sold him into slavery when he was a 17-year-old boy. Uh, his dad was still living with the heart wound from that awful choice that they made. They were still living with a heart burden of unresolved guilt. We're also going to see Joseph, and we're going to see something going on in his heart as this powerful man that's in control of Egypt is having a really hard time controlling the power of love in his heart. So let's see what God might have to say for us today, uh, to us today. We're going to begin picking up the story Uh, in Genesis chapter uh, 41, beginning with verse 31. But I'm going to plant this thought at the beginning. We'll go back to it at the end. This comes from a a devotional series called First Five, Proverbs 31, and it's Wendy Blight. And you said, isn't that a women's Bible study, Pastor Jeff? Yes, it is. 
But every once in a while, my wife, Kathy, blesses me with a thought. And so I, th- I forget what day it was. Monday, I think it was. She said, hey, Jeff, here's a thought on, on, uh, on uh, Genesis chapter 41. God uses pain and brokenness to lead our hearts to repentance and love. I said, thanks, honey. It didn't go away. It stuck with me all week. So maybe that'll help us today. All right, so we're going to begin with... Um, with verse uh, 1 of chapter 43, as we find Jacob now, Joseph's father, between a rock and a hard place. Find it here. There we go. Now the famine was still severe in the land. Hit pause. This was a seven-year famine that Joseph had predicted, actually had interpreted a dream that God had given Pharaoh that there would be seven years of abundance followed by seven years of famine. And in the thick of the famine, Joseph is in charge of Egypt. So that will set the context here a little bit. The famine was still severe in the land. So when they had eaten all the grain they had brought from Egypt, hit pause here, uh, this is not the first trip that we're going to hear about today going to Egypt. Uh, Joseph's ten brothers had gone down to Egypt to buy food from this guy they called the man. They had no idea it was Joseph, didn't recognize him, no clue. They simply called him the man, okay? So this is their second trip down to Egypt to buy food from the man who had treated them very harshly the first time that they had gone down. So they, they had eaten all the grain that they had brought from Egypt, and their father said to them, go back and buy us a little more food. But Judah said to him, the man warned us solemnly, you will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. If you will send your brother along with you, we will go down and buy food for you. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. Because the man said to us, you will not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel, that's the name that God gave Jacob, Israel said, or asked, why did you bring this trouble on me by telling the man you had another brother? They replied, well, the man questioned us closely about ourselves and our family. Is your father still living, he asked us. Do you have another brother, he asked us. We simply answered his questions. How are we to know he would say, bring your brother down here? Then Judah said to Israel, his father, Send the boy along with me, and we will go at once so that we and you and our children may live and not die. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him here before you, before you I will bear the blame before you all my life. As it is, if we had not delayed, we could have gone down and returned twice. Their father said to them, If it must be, then do this. Put some of the best products of the land in your bags and take them down to the man as a gift. A little balm, a little honey, some spices and myrrh, some pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double the amount of silver with you, for you must return the silver that was put back in the mouths of your sacks. That's another story. Perhaps it was a mistake. Take your brother also, And go back to the man at once. And may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man so that he will let your other brother and Benjamin come back with you. As for me, if I'm bereaved, I'm bereaved. Okay, so let's walk through this. 
So sometimes if we could just process things with our heads, it would be a lot easier. It gets a lot more complicated when we have to process them with our hearts. Maybe this doesn't seem like a dilemma. It seems like a pretty obvious choice. Jacob was part patriarch over these 70 people. They're starving. A famine is a terrible way to live your last days. He's got little grandkids looking up at him with those big eyes, kind of wondering what he's going to do. You think that that would settle it, except the heart complicates it. He knows that if he goes back, if he sends his boys back for more food, that his beloved Benjamin must go. Benjamin did not go the first time. Jacob lived with a heart wound, the loss of Joseph. And we aren't going to go into the whole story, but Jacob's first love and his really deepest love was Rachel. Although he had four wives. We're not going to go there. But it was Rachel. And when he lost Joseph, he had two, two sons by Rachel, late in life, Joseph and Benjamin. When he lost Joseph, it seemed like he never recovered. In fact, we see here, he's still bearing that heart wound. And the thought of losing Benjamin? Benjamin was not only the only surviving son that he had with Rachel. Rachel died giving birth to Benjamin. This is hard stuff. Heart. And so he has to get past this kind of grief fog that he's in. He's been in it for a long time. So we see someone step into this story that we would have met if worship was not a family experience earlier. We started uh, with Joseph and his brothers and the dreams and the coat and all that back in chapter 37. But in chapter 38, we would have met Judah and his, daughter-in-law, uh, his daughter-in-law, Tamar, who was widowed. And something went on there that we don't talk about in a family service. It's not in the Sunday school curriculum. Okay? Not the happiest part of their family story. But God's not done with Judah. It's amazing how God redeems and how God works. Judah steps forward now and does the hard thing. He's going to talk to Dad, and I don't think we can understand how significant this was in that culture because of the patriarchal system and how, how Jacob was, was really respected. By the way, he's Isaac's son and Abraham's grandson. Highly respected. But in this case, he needs someone to help give him some clarity. Judah steps forward and says, Dad, we got to go, and you got to send Benjamin, or we're going to die. We're going to die, you're going to die, and our kids are going to die. We have to go. We have to go. I wonder if Joseph thought about his family's story a little bit. He wasn't the first one faced with this kind of dilemma. Grandpa faced this. Grandpa Abraham. When who knows why, I'm sure he did not understand with his head. (laughs) But God asked him, it was a test, God asked Abraham to take his son, his only son, 
Isaac and bring him to the place he would show him on Mount Moriah and offer him as a sacrifice. Abraham had already lost his son, Ishmael. That's a different story. He's left with Isaac and God says, offer him. What's he to do? Talk about being between a rock and a hard place. Somehow, God gave him faith to trust in that time. And we remember that story's amazing ending as God stops him from, offer, from uh, sacrificing his son and instead provides a lamb, excuse me, not a lamb, but a ram <laughs> to, uh, to be sacrificed in his place. Isaac. Jacob's dad was the one who was laid on that altar. That's part of the family, probably a pretty powerful part of it. Jacob had not had that same kind of thing happen in his life, but he had his encounters with God. God had spoken to Jacob. There was a time recorded for us in Genesis chapter 22 where uh, um, Jacob has this dream, powerful dream, and, and, and the dream is this, and this is not Led Zeppelin, people. This is Genesis chapter 22. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway to heaven, standing, resting on the earth, with it reaching to heaven, and angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land in which you're lying. Your descendants will be like the, the dust of the earth. You will spread out to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south. All people on earth will be blessed through you, Jacob, and your offspring. I am with you, and I will not leave you until I have done what I promised to you. Now, that's a pretty powerful promise to have spoken into your life by who? God himself. How could he forget it? You know how life is? Have you, like, totally been yourself these last months? Have there times when you say, I know better. What am I thinking? That's the way life can be. Perhaps, as Judah said, Dad, you got to go, he remembered Grandpa. I can't imagine he ever forgot the times that God had talked to him. But sometimes when we're between a rock and a hard place, we look to the right and we look to the left and we, and, and we look ahead and we look behind and we think, <laughs> there's a verse in 2 Chronicles chapter um, uh, 2, and we're not going to go into this story. Jehoshaphat, who's leading Israel at the time, is feeling overwhelmed by enemy forces and, and he cries out to God, like, and he says, we don't know what to do. But our eyes are on you. Kind of what's going on here with Jacob. And we sense that when he gets to the end of his response to, to Judah and says, okay, take some of the treasure of our land. Take the silver back. Take your brother and may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man so he will let your other brother and Benjamin come back with you. As for me, I'm, if I'm bereaved, I'm bereaved. 
In that moment when he remembered, he uses the name here for God. There are many names for God in the Old, in the Old Testament reflecting the character or attributes of God. He uses, a, he uses an important name here because he feels like there's no hope here. He uses the name El Shaddai, God Almighty, the God who has worked in the past, the God is, who would promise that he would never leave me or forsake me. What May God Almighty give you mercy when you stand before the man. So, so they go. Now we move to the brothers. As they're on their way, as they arrive in Egypt. And we realize that the guilt that, that was kind of our focus last week, the unresolved guilt, that guilt that would not go away until it was dealt with God's way. It's not false guilt. It's not something that they should go see a therapist about so he can convince them that they shouldn't have it. They did something awful. <laughs> they had not dealt with it yet. They were carrying it as a secret. Their dad didn't know. But it was real, and it was a burden. And sometimes when we're living with guilt, what follows along with that? Fear. They did not see God as their friend during this time. They saw the trouble with the man on the earlier trip as God kind of getting back at them. They saw the silver that, that had been placed, that, that Joseph ordered, be put back in their sacks, not as perhaps a generous provision from somebody, but as God trying to get them in trouble. That's how guilt, which is the result of sin, which results in fear, we know this, right? That's how it messes with our lives. We're going to see it's still messing with their lives as well. Picking up the story with verse 15. So the men took the gifts and the double the amount of silver, and Benjamin also, and they hurried down to Egypt and presented themselves to Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of the house, Take these men to my house, slaughter an animal, and prepare a meal. They are to eat with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him, and by the way, this time the man is his steward. The steward was basically in the same role that Joseph used to be with Potiphar when he ran Potiphar's house. Remember that? A few weeks ago? We're seven weeks into this. Maybe if, anyway. Um, so anyway, too much information. The man did as Joseph told him and took the men to Joseph's house. Now the men were frightened when they were taken to his house. They thought about it through the fear factor. They thought, we're brought here because of the silver that was put into our sacks the first time. He wants to attack us and overpower us and seize us as slaves and, our, and take our donkeys. Really? You think Joseph wants their donkeys? Anyway, so they went up to Joseph's steward and spoke to him at the entrance of the house. We beg your pardon, our Lord, they said. We came down here the first time to buy food. But at the place where we stopped for the night, we opened our sacks, and each of us found his silver, the exact weight, in the mouth of a sack. So we brought it back with us. We've also brought enough silver, or additional silver, with us to buy food. We don't know who put that silver in our sack. And this is just crazy. You know who speaks against the fear of the sons of Jacob? An Egyptian steward. An Egyptian who grew up in a very pagan land, worshiping the sun god, Ray. We have no idea 
what his spiritual condition with is right now, except he is living very close to Joseph. Now, I'm not going to get too much reading between the lines of this. I have a hard enough time making sure I pay attention to what is on the lines in the Bible. You know what I'm talking about? But, listen to what this man says, the steward of Joseph. It's all right, he said. Don't be afraid. Your God, the God of your father, has given you treasure in your sacks. I received your silver. Then he brought Simeon out to them. Simeon was their brother who had been left as a hostage, so to speak, in Egypt and would not be released unless Benjamin was brought down. That's some of the backstory in case, in case you missed a Sunday. Okay, here we go. The steward took the men into Joseph's house, gave them water to wash their feet, and provided for their donkeys. They prepared their gifts for Joseph's arrival at noon because they had heard that they were to eat there. So, um, you know, we aren't going to spend a lot of time on this. We spent a lot of time on it last week. This is what happens when our sin is uh, manifesting itself in appropriate actual guilt, which, again, shapes the way that we look at life, and fear becomes a part of that. So they're fearing that Joseph wants their donkeys. (laughs) They're fearing that he's angry about the silver as he's getting ready to bestow on them a beautiful banquet. That's the way, and, 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 and perhaps we covered that last week, but I, I thought of this. Uh, David went through a time when he had done something really wrong, and he, had, and he had been faced with it. And in Psalm 32, he describes what it's like to be carrying the burden of guilt. He said, when I kept silent, My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. You ever felt that way? (laughs) I remember as a kid days, I thought, I I don't care if my dad ever comes home. (laughs) I know I'm in trouble. (laughs) The guilt was heavy on me. That's a small thing compared to 10 guys who had sold their little brother as a slave. Their strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Let's move into this last part. We've talked about how Jacob's heart is feeling the wound and and, and feeling the, the, the dilemma that he's facing. We've seen how the brothers' hearts are still carrying the burden of guilt. And now we're gonna see Joseph's heart being powerfully moved. When Joseph came home, they presented him the gifts they had brought into the house. And they bowed down before him to the ground. He asked them how they were, and they said, How is your age? He asked them how they were. And then he said, How is your aged father that you told me about? Is he still living? They replied, Your servant, our father, is still alive and well. And they bowed down, prostrating themselves before him. As he looked about and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's only son, he asked, Is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went into his private room and he wept there. After he had washed his face, he came out and controlling himself said, serve the food. They served him, Joseph, by himself. 
the brothers by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves. Because Egyptians could not eat with Hebrews, for that was detestable to Egyptians. The men had been seated before him in the order of their ages, from the firstborn to the youngest, and they looked at each other in astonishment. When the portions were served to them from Joseph's table, Benjamin's portion was five times as much as anyone else's. So they feasted and drank freely with him. <laughs> what a gathering. You notice, didn't you, that all 11 of them were now bowing down to, to Joseph. This dream, this is a powerful dream. This dream just keeps, keeps coming back. You know, here we have the 11 brothers prostrate before Joseph, who says, get up. And like the ladies from, from Kroll's Diner says, uh, uh, sit down and eat. And, and, and this is not like a find your place kind of wedding reception. This is like a find your card wedding reception. This is a signed seating, right? And he has them seated in their birth order. And of course, with their guilt, they're thinking this is scary, right? But he has them seated in their birth order. And then there's Benjamin. Then there's Benjamin. He's seated on the end. He's the youngest. We see the cultural divide between the Egyptians and the, he and the Hebrews. We see, we see Joseph's unique place in history at this time as he's about as Egyptian as Egyptian can be on the outside, but still a son of Jacob, grandson of Isaac, great-grandson of Abraham in his heart. He's sitting alone watching this. And each of them are served. And then Benjamin gets one portion, two portions, three portions, four portions. Five, I almost lost count. Five portions. Why? Why? Interesting, isn't it? Let's just step back and think of this as we close. First time those ten brothers carrying this burden of guilt were in Egypt. They were treated harshly by the man. This time they come and they're treated quite differently by the man. What's different about the first trip and the last trip? This trip. Benjamin. Benjamin. He's along. And I know we have to be careful not to read between the lines, but my word, people, we, we know what God has done for us in Jesus. It's incredible what God has done for us in Jesus. And, so, and we're so aware of how central that is to our understanding of God and our relationship with God, but sometimes we can't help but see him all over the Bible. We see it in the Psalms. We see it certainly in different kind of moments in the Old Testament where we go, oh, that reminds me of the difference that Jesus has made for me in my relationship with God. So, I'm not going to press this too hard. But I think what it would be like to be seated before the man without Jesus there. First time around, the, the boys got a taste of prison. They were accused of being spies. And they were sent home to test themselves. Went kind of rough. But when they're back with Benjamin... Things were really, really different. Do you realize that if I had to stand before for God 
just with me and my, my friends. And all we were accountable for was, was, our, was my guilt. That would not go well. Do you realize how much it changes when Jesus is in our crew? You guys, Jesus is in our crew. And as the Father has his banquet and he lavishes love on his Son, which he should, we're there too, and we get a portion. And we're saying, wow, this is great. I was afraid of how it would go, but the Father really loves Jesus. And more than that, he sent him to die for our sins, that this might not just be a random act of kindness, but an intentional part of God's plan. As we sit at the Father's table, in spite of our sin, enjoying the benefits of his mercy, of his mercy, because the son that he loves, as it says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, it says that Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. Jesus is not only willing to sit at the table with us that we might enjoy the benefits he enjoys as being loved by the Father. He likes us. He's not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. Isn't that amazing? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for um, your word. And it meets us in different ways at different times. Maybe with some of the decisions that we're facing and seeing what happens. We're, maybe the, the dilemma that Jacob was living with, maybe that came alive to us. Maybe some of us were resonating with Jacob and trying to figure out what to do because of something that was so significant on his heart. Maybe some of us know what it's like to look at life through fear because we haven't had that moment where we've just kind of made our peace with you. Thank you that you love to have those moments with us. Maybe there's some here today that are thinking, it's time that I just come and make my peace. But we thank you too that like uh, Abraham offered up Isaac and got him back, like Jacob allowed Benjamin to go and got him back, there was a time when you offered up your son and watched him die for us. And after accomplishing what needed to happen, that we might be at peace with you, you got him back. And he rules and reigns with you, and he will be with us at the table. Thank you, Father, for your word. Encourage us this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.